exclusive podcast from Impact 89 FM. You're listening to Impact Exposure. Smoking helpline. Yes, I need to start smoking right away. Excuse me? I need to start smoking. Well, actually, it's the Stop Smoking Helpline. The people in the apartment next to mine smoke three packs a day, and it drives me crazy. So I'm thinking four packs will do it. I think you want mysmokefreeapartment.org. It gives you the information you need to work toward a smoke-free apartment building. A smoke-free building? Without all that smoking? Uh, yeah, that's right. Make your apartment smoke-free without making a stink. Mysmokefreeapartment.org. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Wednesday nights from 8 until midnight, it's the Impact's Accidental Blues, your source for great blues music, news, and concert information. Only on Impact Primetime. Hola, my name is Esperanza. After a tragic incident, I was forced from a life of riches in Mexico to a life of poverty in the United States. My mother has become ill and we have become separated from our family. Now I must work for both of us to try to bring the rest of our family together. My name is Esperanza and I am trying to survive. Explore new worlds. Read my story in the novel Esperanza Rising by Pam Munoz Ryan. For other great book ideas, visit your local library or log on to literacy.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Now back to Impact Exposure. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox. In the studio is Billiards Music. They uh, were planning on performing at a Rock and Brew this weekend, but instead they will also be performing at the Festival of the, Stun- the Sun, and they also have an upcoming performance at Max Bar. So welcome to the show, Billiards Music. Hello. Thanks for having us. So how long have you guys been around for? Um, as a full band, we've been around for in the past, uh, I think, about two years. The past, uh, the past two years, I think it is. Uh, before that, I was just doing solo stuff. It was just me for you know a couple years before that. So, yeah, I would say you know Billiards Music has been in existence for the last you know four years, I think. As a band, a full full as a set. full band of the past two years. Two years. For so as as everyone kind of scoots up to the mic here to to give a shout out, can you just kind of go go around the room here and, and introduce yourselves and, and what instrument you play, starting right here? Hi, I'm Raymond Crane. I play uh, alternate percussion. I actually just started playing with these guys. I also play some lead guitar on some songs. Uh, I'm Brandon. I'm the lead, uh, I guess, acoustic guitar, and uh, I sing and uh, play harmonica. Uh, I'm Lex. I play bass, <clears throat> the low notes mainly. <laughs> I play drums. So, so again, you guys are performing at the Festival of the Sun, which is happening in Old Town this weekend. It's we are. A, it's a celebration of wine, and, and then another day is, and is very beer small glasses and... of wine and beer. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we actually uh, we played there last year. It was a really really good time. So uh, we were quite surprised and very excited that they asked us back again this year. So it should be a really good time. We had a great time last year. Oh. So we're excited to do it again. If it's half as fun as last year, it's going to be awesome. It was yeah. it was off the hook. And where do you guys normally perform? Uh, venues all over Lansing. We've pretty much hit up most venues in Lansing, for, all the way from Max Bar, The Loft, uh, Crunchies, The Riff here in East Lansing. Just Odie's. Ann Arbor. We just played in Ann Arbor. Um, some other places we played at. We played at Odie's in Camel. Yeah. Pretty much any venue here in the Lansing area we've played at, you know, a handful of times. And you guys are a Lansing-based yes, band. Yes, we are. Yeah. Absolutely. Every one of us. Absolutely. 
And do you guys plan on, on, you know, keeping the music here in Lansing? Or are you guys planning any tours or...? Uh, nothing in the works quite yet. We would like to in the near future, you know, spawn out a little bit more than what we have in the past. Uh, hopefully if we can, you know, financially bring ourselves together and, you know, find the time to do it, we would hope to do it, you know, sometime soon, hopefully. Mm -hmm. We accept sponsors mm -hmm. also. Yeah, um. <laughs> we also take sponsors. <laughs> um, if we do, if we do branch out, I think, well, I mean, as of right now, we'll probably stay in, in the Michigan area. You know, seeing what you know, the feedback we get from other people, and you know how that goes, and then from there we'll we'll see how how things go and how we want to go about doing it next. So, so without further ado, would you be willing to play a song for us? Well, we can do that. All right, this uh, this first song we're gonna play is called uh, it's called Little Girl.
studio is Billiards Music. They are a Lansing-based band. They'll be performing this weekend at uh, the Festival of the Sun, which will happen in Old Town, as well as they have an upcoming performance at Max Bar, which is which day? Uh, I want to say that it's a Thursday. It's Thursday. the 30th. Okay. And uh, so I have a question. Um, where did you get your band's name from, Billiards Music? All right. Uh, a lot of the songs that we, uh, we come to write is... Uh, Usually about like drinking and being out at the bar and having a good time at the bar and stuff like that. And what are you usually doing when you're out at the bar and hanging out with friends is playing pool. Uh, a lot of the music that we play is a little bit more laid back, a little bit more chill, other than that song that we play is a little bit more upbeat. <clears throat> a little bit more Latin style. Yeah, I think that uh, you know when you're playing pool and you, you know, you're hanging out with friends, you're more like in a relaxed state of mind, so it seemed quite fitting. And who would you say are your musical influences? Wow. Um, it's got to be different for everyone in here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say that's a 20-minute segment right there. Right. We all come from different, you know, musical backgrounds for sure, you know, different tastes in music, you know, as the years went on. But I think a lot of the music that we play stems from, you know, bands like, you know, the roots music of any kind of reggae music. I definitely am all into, you know, the Beatles. I mean, hands down. I mean, a lot of people are going to say the Beatles, but, I mean, that's a gimme for sure. Bob Marley. Uh, it's sublime. I'd say, like, more than by person, but by band, you know, the influences for the band is definitely, you know, like the reggae, SoCal right, right. kind of sound, and then, you know, it's definitely got some alternative things in there, and definitely some Latin stuff as well. Yep. Are there other local bands that you perform with? You know, like, let's say if you if there's a show that's coming up, you know, you tie yourself with, with a certain bands in the area. Is there... You guys have a... Well, mainly just the other bands that we play in. Uh, that's the only one oh, we can tie ourselves to. numerous but, bands. Yeah. 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 Um, well, I mean, you know, we usually just get thrown on to the beginning or end of any kind of bill. You know, be it a metal show, right. funk um, show. You know, just we One of the bands that we, uh, we get tied with, you know, every now and then is uh, Tree Hut Kings. Definitely. They're a fantastic band. They're more jam band style, you know, but that's, you know, I feel like, you know, in this, you know, the Lansing area, there's not a lot of, you know, bands that naturally sound like us, so they're more or less the, the jam band kind of band. So, I mean, we fit well with them. Yeah, we're like warm weather music out of place somewhere. Right, right. Yeah. So. Right by the beach, boy. Right by the beach. So, without further ado, would you guys play one more song to take us out with? We can do that. No problem. All right, this, uh, this final song that we're going to do is called Ain't That Something, and it's, uh, it's unfortunately about uh, drinking a little bit too much and uh, regretting it the next day, so uh, that's what it's about. Sitting on the curb, speaking word of my 
band in the studio. That was Billiards Music. They'll be performing at the Festival of the Sun this weekend. It'll be uh, take place in Old Town. Um, on Friday um, is the Festival of the Moon. It is also happening in Old Town. It's from 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. and will feature Michigan uh, beers or just beers in general. And then Saturday again is the Festival of the Sun, which will also happen in Old Town, June 25th from 2 to 11 p.m. and that will feature wine. And that is where Billiards Music will play. And they also have an upcoming performance at Max Bar on Thursday, next Thursday. Yep. So, gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thanks for having us. Good time. Our pleasure. You're listening to Impact Exposure. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Monday nights from 8 till 10, the Asian Invasion brings you the music from the rising sun. We'll bring you the latest pop, indie, rock, and electro from Korea, Japan, and China. Only on Impact 89FM. An ordinary day, an ordinary family's living room filled with an ordinary bunch of kids. And they were doing nothing. When suddenly... That's a personal foul. An active activity on a sunny day. Coming to the rescue was NFL running back Reggie Bush. Let's play. And play they did. There was running and jumping and laziness was crushed. Hey kids, don't get a lazy penalty. Go online to smallstep.gov for fun playtime ideas. So you can be a player too. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Attention shoppers, if anyone is missing a rather plump set of love handles, please come to the customer service counter and claim them. The ample love handles were lost in the produce department where their former owner had purchased fruits and veggies to munch on during the big game. Thank you and have a good day. Small step number 81, snack on fruits and veggies. It's just one of the many small steps you can take to get healthy. Learn more at www.smallstep.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Now back to Impact Exposure. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. I am your host, Emily Fox, and in the studio is David Such, and he is here to talk about Old Town Scrap Fest, which is going on this weekend. Welcome to the show, David. Uh, thanks for having me on. So what is Scrap Fest? Well, Scrap Fest is a, uh, uh, basically, it's a it's an art uh, sculpture com- competition in which uh, art teams or artists uh, have uh, one hour to collect up to 500 pounds of scrap and then two weeks to make something out of that scrap. And then uh, it all comes back together uh, uh, during the Festival of the Moon and Sun, which you've been talking about a lot tonight. Uh, and they're displayed outside that, that festival so the uh, anybody can see them. And um, then uh, there's a panel of judges that... Uh, judge and award first, second, and third prize, and then anybody who comes down and look them, looks at the, the pieces uh, can vote on uh, people's choice. And this is the third year that you guys have been doing this. How has this, this event grown over the years? Well, uh, we keep getting more teams uh, each year, and uh, so in that regard, it, it is definitely, the, the word has gotten out with the artists and the art, art groups uh, to this is something to participate in, and uh, we've we've grown from the first year we had twelve teams, uh, second year we had sixteen, we're up to eighteen, and we had, actually had to cap it at eighteen uh, because um, you know eighteen teams equals about nine thousand pounds of scrap. So, and that's all donated by uh, Friedland Industries, and that is located right in Old Town. 
So why use scrap to create this artwork? Well, I think it's uh, it's something that uh, um, the idea of this whole festival was born out of um, uh, my brothers actually building things out of scrap and putting them in a cornfield at a farm we lived on. And I just uh, always loved the idea of taking something that once had a life as something and then once that life is over as that one thing, having a life as something else and that being art. And that was always appealing to me. And, and um, when I approached the Friedland people about the possibility of, you know, they, they do scrap for money. I mean, that's what they're all about. And as far as, you know, uh, uh, recycling and things of that nature. And they were all for making art out of that, too. So. And is Friedland based in Old Town? Friedland is right in Old Town. In, in fact, that was another. Once I got into Old Town and started passing this yard every day, I went, these would be a natural partner for this. Excellent. And and what are some of the, the best pieces of, of scrap work, um, scrap arc work that you've seen um, over the years? Wow. Um, man, that's a really, that's a, that's a tough question. Uh, I guess I would say that I haven't seen the, the best is yet to come. <laughs> uh, I have been uh, going around to each studio uh, over the past uh, week and a half. I've been to 12 uh yeah, 14 out of the, the 18 uh, artists right now. I've been to eight, 14 of their studios, and I have uh, seen some of the pieces that they've been working on, and uh, it's it's pretty cool. There's there's some really cool stuff coming this year, and um, if I had to pick a favorite, I couldn't do that right now. <laughs> so talk about what the artists have done so far um, this year to, to create their scrap art. You mean... Uh, so they've been doing this for about a week now, preparing? Week, week and a half. They have until Friday to finish their pieces. So they've been at it a week and a half, and, and a lot of the teams have been working... Well, a lot of people who are on these teams, uh, you know, have full-time jobs doing other things. Uh, some are full-time artists, and uh, everybody's been putting in a lot of hours. I've been to, to studios late at night and early in the morning, and, and they've been just trying to jam it in whenever they can on weekends and at... at at night, in fact, I'm going to go visit a couple studios tonight when I leave. And where uh, are lots of these artists from? Uh, well, that's uh, something that has, has changed this year, too. We have uh, an artist from California who has come in to join a Michigan team. And uh, he's a sculptor in his own right in, in L.A. And he's joining a team this year. And we have a, uh, a, a creative uh, director of a, of, a, of a company that makes signs in Detroit, is uh, thrown in his hat into the ring and is is building a piece with his wife, and they're out of Detroit. Uh, we have a, a, a farm family from Puama, Westphalia. Is just to give you a sample. There's a there's some iron workers, I think, out of Owasso. It's just a, a, a wide variety of people that you'd, you'd be surprised. As a graphic designer out of Old Town, there's a there's a, a company called Redhead Design. They're all their partners are involved in, in Scrapfest this year, and another design company in Old Town called CISA. So, so these people that may have the travel far, um, let's say people from Detroit, do they they get their scrap last week and then have to haul that five hundred pounds or so back to Detroit? Or are they coming and commuting back to Old Town or in this area to to work on their pieces of art? I think they took everything back to Detroit, and wow. so that's where they're working on it. And I'll be excited to see what I haven't visited their studio, so I'll be excited to see what they they show up with on Friday. And are most of these people artists themselves, or is this kind of their 
just jumping in full full force. I would I would say that uh, I would say fifty percent of the people that are in Scrapfest are not artists by trade, but are artists at heart. And I I think I am just so surprised. I mean, I can't even tell you about uh, any of the pieces that are coming this year. They are they are really cool. And just such a wide variety, and it's it's really interesting how uh, to see these things take shape from nothing, from scrap. Exactly. <laughs> so in in these pieces of art will be um, featured at Festival of the Sun and Moon, which again is happening in Old Town this weekend. Um, Festival of the Moon is happening on Friday from six to eleven p.m. in Old Town, and that'll feature beer. And then on Saturday is Festival of the Sun, which will feature wine from two to eleven p.m. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, why collaborate with um, Festival of the Sun and Moon in Old Town? Well, those two venues are are bring a lot of people to Old Town. And when we first started talking about Scrap Fest, it, it talked about, okay, we need an audience of people. And maybe people that wouldn't ordinarily go to a scrap, a sculpture competition. So uh, OTCA in, in, in Old Town, the Old Town Commercial Association, was kind enough to, to let us kind of partner with them and be outside the festival. So people coming uh, into Old Town or even people coming to the festivals could could walk through and, and look at these pieces of art. And it, it was it's really been a successful collaboration. Excellent. Well, again, in the studio is David Such. He is the founder of Scrap Fest, which will be going on this weekend in Old Town, as well as Festival of the Sun and Moon. For more information, you can go to iloveoldtown.org. And speaking of art, up next is a feature by Nick Oren titled, What is Art? here on Impact Exposure. What is art? It's a simple question with a not-so-simple answer, or so it would appear. Colleges across the world offer entire classes, the whole point of which being to provide an answer for this inquiry. But when it really comes down to it, and all sides have said their piece, there's only one real answer. Art is dumb. Take Michelangelo's statue of David, a fully nude man carved out of marble. Disturbing, inappropriate, waste of natural resources. Vincent Van Gogh's world-famous Starry Starry Night does not look like stars, does not look like night, was painted by a crazy man looking out the window of an insane asylum. Enough said. The evidence is as clear as day. But believe it or not, not everyone agrees. Vince Joy is one of these people. Vince has been an artist since he was four years old. Apparently the criteria for artists does not consist of much. More recently, Vince graduated from the College for Creative Studies in Detroit, Michigan, and is currently designing layouts for Lansing's own City Pulse magazine. Vince has his own ideas about what art is. Art is something that is very much human, and you can't separate the art from the artist. Like, you can look at a piece of art, and you can have a reaction to it, and you can say, that looks good but I don't think you're really getting the whole sense of the art unless you take into consideration why the artist did it and what the artist's intentions were. Art to me is a human activity that makes like some impact on humanity. Like That's the only reason art exists is because humans need it. And it's not just something that looks good. It's not just like uh, decoration, you know? So maybe art isn't dumb. 
It's just confusing and complicated. To add to this confusion, as it turns out, art is worth a lot of money. Some art, that is. Particularly the old stuff. So in a world that needs art, and that is constantly churning out more and more new art, it's the oldies that people are still talking about. Mr. Joy sums this up as so. Art has so much to do with what's happening in the society that is being made. Actually, has everything to do with that. So in the Renaissance, like in Italy, everything was happening. Like, people were just learning things again. They were learning how to make machines again. And that's what society was doing. And art was doing the same thing. Like, they learned how to do the same things that were happening in classical Greece and Rome. And that's, like, what the whole Renaissance was about, was trying to get back to when people knew how to do stuff, how to run governments and how to run societies and how to make beautiful art. So for, like, for a long time, for hundreds of years, that's the only art that was considered good art was Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, those guys. You have to learn how they change society so that you can understand how you can do the same thing. That's why you learn about it in Art Smart. Respect given where respect is deserved. Learning from mistakes. Finally, something that makes sense. Sort of. Van Gogh is insane. And he was like a legitimate crazy person and he wasn't a very good artist. He was just insane. But the good thing about Van Gogh and the reason why it's so successful when you look back at it is it was just completely honest. And that is so important for art now. Just being just like having an honest view on something like not trying to make art that people will like necessarily but art that is that points to something that's true and that's what makes Van Gogh so good I don't really like looking at his artwork but it kind of makes me sick but that's like that's good because that's what he was Vincent van Gogh was an artist born in Holland. He spent most of his life painting in the countryside. He died in 1890, not before cutting off his own ear, delivering it to a brothel, and partaking in a modest stay at a St. Remy mental asylum. Vince Joy is also an artist. Since age four, Vince has been painting and drawing whatever seems to pop into his head. He has never attempted to remove his own ear, nor has he ever been to a mental asylum. Earlier in this piece, the criteria by which the title artist is achieved was brought up. The thought that this criteria didn't consist of much was also brought up. As it turns out, it can be even less than that. In, in my head, there's two different, like, not really two different, there's, there's two ways of being an artist, I guess. And you can do them both simultaneously. One of them is, like, commercial art, like art, functional art. So, like, to use myself as an example, I made a cover for the City Falls newspaper. That's functional. It's commercial. I got paid to do it. The other way that you can be an artist is to just do the art that you have to do to survive. Like, I think that's what makes a person an artist is, like, if I wasn't doing commercial art, if I wasn't selling art and being an artist for a job, I would still, like, I've always been an artist. I would still be an artist. So, like, like I was saying before, like, I can do art for a job, and that makes me an artist. 
Like I can draw and that's my job. But I think being an artist is like so much more than that. Like it's a lifestyle. Like everything I do has something to do with art. It has something to do with like creativity. So I guess what makes a person an artist is has something to do with just the need to create. And I think just on like a very basic level, every human person obviously has some desire for creative activity. Uh, it's called sex. That's a very creative activity, believe it or not. Breakthrough. Everyone on this planet is in a way an artist. Everyone is confused and complicated and sometimes dumb. Everyone has felt the need at some point or another to communicate in a way other than words. Whether it be a kiss to say I love you, a high five to say great job, or a painting to say I'm a crazy man with one ear. Everyone creates. Everyone is an artist. Art is. Art is the expression of yourself through any means of expression. Art is skateboarding on a beautiful July day. Art is the principles or methods governing any craft or branch of learning. Art is cool stuff that you hang on your wall. Art is creativity in physical form. Equality, production, expression or realm according to aesthetic principles of what is beautiful, appealing, or of more than ordinary significance. Um, I, I think that it's a broad enough term that pretty much anything you call art sort of is. It sounds know? so stupid, but like art is my life. Like art is how I relate to everything. Art, art is not my religion, but art is how I view my religion and how I react to it. Art is not like my girlfriend. But art is how I view beauty and love. What makes me an artist is just like everything that I am. It's so cheesy. This program was created and narrated by Nick Oren for Professor Gary Reed's TC343 audio production class. Special thanks to Vince Joy for all of his insight and help. For more information on Vince or to see some of his work, visit him online at www.vincejoy.blogspot.com. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox, and on the phone is Eric Prue. He um, is the filmmaker who is making a film called Lemonade Detroit, and he is on the phone to talk about the film. Welcome to the show, Eric. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So talk a little bit about this film uh, and why you decided to make it. Um, yeah, I'd love to. Uh, Lemonade Detroit is, um, I actually had a, a really uh, profound realization about why I'm, I'm making it. Um, but first, I'll tell you what it is. I, um, uh, you know, I, I think like a lot of Detroiters, um, which I am not one of, by the way, uh, I live uh, other in Boston, but like a lot of Detroiters, I was, um, I'm sort of, Sick of uh, sick of hearing one viewpoint, and sick of seeing um, what popular media does to um, sort of feed on itself and, and uh, portray portray things in a way that they think will sell newspapers or, or get ratings. Um, 
and wanted to tell uh, another side that was equally dramatic and equally uh, equally interesting and, and no less more um, no less more sexy or 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 you know. Um, you know, I like to say that, that I'm trying to make hope as optimistic as a, as a train, you know, hope as appealing as a train wreck, <laughs> you know, get people to, to rubberneck on something that's a really positive story instead of something that's, you know, inherently negative. Um, and so Lemonade Detroit is about what the whole city is doing to uh, re-identify itself uh, uh, after not really having one single industry to call its own anymore. Um, it's, it's just sort of solution, sort of a bunch of different, uh, people doing a bunch of different things that are, are, are redefining, uh, redefining the area. Um, and you know what? What kind of got me to this point and, and made me interested in, in telling this story is that uh, um, I ended up out there about a year and a half ago to screen my first film, and which is about people who lost their jobs and reinvented themselves. And I thought that it was. Uh, I thought that I was going to have to. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I just—I had never actually—I'd never been to Detroit prior to this, um, and and I had a certain set of expectations and beliefs going into the city, going into my first visit there, that were all proven wrong um, by the people that I met. And um, you know, this making this film, I, I've come to realize, is kind of my uh, uh, my penance for for those beliefs and sort of you know how ignorant could I be. Um, I need to. I need to just kind of make up for that uh, for those thought patterns, and um, that's where I am today. So, talk about your perception of Detroit. I mean, as you said, you're from Boston. Um, before you yeah. made your first movie, which is called Lemonade, and now you're making a film called Lemonade Detroit. Um, talk about the perceptions you had about Detroit before you came to film your first film, and and now working on a film about Detroit and about the hope that the city has and the positives that are, things that are coming out of it. And what are your perceptions now? So going in, uh, going into Detroit, I think my perceptions were shaped um, largely the way I think most of the people in, in the rest of the country feel or, or learn about Detroit, and that's from you know seeing seeing you know the Dateline story and, and hearing the census numbers as, as as portrayed on Huffington Post and all the things that um, all all the ways that people get their information were the ways that I got mine, and were not, not being from there, I never thought to dig any deeper. I mean, I, I, my, my impression of Detroit was that, um, you know, not only was there a dwindling, dwindling population, but there was no population, and that not only was there, uh, you know, uh, some some uh, problems with, with crime and poverty and, and, and all that stuff, but that it was, you know, uh, you know, might as, well, might as well have been filled with, like, zombies and cannibals, you know? I mean, from my, my impression was that I was going to go into this, like, this this beyond bleak situation that that the rest of the world or the rest of the the that the media seems to portray. Um, when I got there, and you know showed showed lemonade for the first time to a group of people who had just lost their jobs or were about to lose their jobs, about 400 people in total in the room. Um, they every one of them was um, had this real. Uh, inexplicable optimism for what was coming, and I, I I didn't understand that coming in. It was just sort of it, it sort of slapped me in the face the same way, you know, hearing bad numbers slap you in the face. But this this energy in this room was was profound, and um, and that's been my impression since. And the more I go, and the more people I talk to, and the more sort of little inner pockets of, of 
of energy and little businesses and, and neighborhoods that are turning around, more, the more of those that pop up, um, the, more, uh, the more I believe this. And the more I, – I, every time I go into Detroit, I leave completely fired up <laughs> about, uh, about what's possible there and, and what's possible for the film. Talk about the people and the projects that you highlight in your documentary called Lemonade Detroit. Sure. Um, well, there's there's uh, there's about right now there's about six or seven people that are that I made uh, first time I went in just to to film the trailer, and then I used that trailer to try to generate funding for the short, which is where it is right now. And now I'm using the short to try to generate more funding for the feature. And um, as of right now, in the short, you know there are. Uh, the stories we tell are um, Reverend uh, Reverend uh, Barry Randolph of the Church of the Messiah and all the inc- uh, and um, on the East Side who are just doing some incredible incredible work and, and you know you look at it you look at somebody like him and you think oh you know it's just, it's just he's a he's a community organizer and it's like you know he's making these little changes one you know pockets of you know people who are you know seen better days and they're down their luck. But it, it goes so far beyond that. The, the difference that he's making is is incredible. Um, Joe Ferris uh, from Motor City Denim, who you know was on Project One Way a couple of years ago, um, and left his job as a designer in New York to come and partner with a struggling um, auto supply manufacturer because um, he had all the machines, and now they're making jeans out of a out of, from a from a factory that once made stuff for the automotive industry. Um, Chaz Miller, who's an incredible artist, um, uh, started the Artist Village and, you know, takes, takes kids off the street and, and, and gives them skills to, to succeed in the art world and, and give, them an expo- give them something to do uh, to explore their talents um, that they didn't know that they had. Um, you know, there's, of course, you know, Phil Cooley and Claire Nelson and, and, and a lot of the people who are doing, doing the work that has been reported on so much and are doing such great stuff there, um, you know. And there are so many more stories I want to tell. Every time I come in, I learn about something else, another story I want to tell. But you know, there's only so many things you can do in a in a nine minute feature. Right now, talk about um, how your film is funded. You describe it as crowdfunding. How does that work? Yeah. So um, right now, um, people can buy. Uh, there's. In 24 seconds, in one second of, of film, there's 24 grams in a standard second um, of film, and over the course of a 90-minute feature, that that you know multiplies out to about 130,000 frames, and all those. So the way that um, this is being crowdfunded is all those frames are for sale. Um, they can all be sponsored for one dollar at a time, and um, and and so far uh, we've been able to. Um, Get about forty-five, almost fifty thousand frames um, sponsored for a dollar each, and um, and that's you know, and they all get in exchange. Those people get producer credit on the film, so they actually spend in the end credits on the movie. You know, and right now there's you know um, several, you know, I think there's something. 1,400 or so individual producers, and they all get actual producer credit on the film, both on the end credits and on IMDb. Um, and I just found out that this, uh, you know, this qualifies for a world a world record against world record for the most amount of producers in a single film. <laughs> so why did you decide <laughs> to fund um, your documentary, Lemonade Detroit, this way? Uh, for reasons. Um, I think it's really important for me to make... Um, as an outsider, as somebody from not not from Detroit, 
Um, it's really important for, for, for me and the film to be accepted um, and to feel, you know, for people to have a vested interest in, in, its, uh, in its completion and the story that it tells. Um, you know, if I were to come in from, I know there have been a few, a few projects that, um, you know, have promised one thing but delivered something else entirely. And I don't want to do that. I want to promise one thing and, and have people's, you know, people's interest in it be, be realized as the, as the sort of, you know, uplifting and, and, and flip side of the coin of the stories that have already been told. Um, so, and, and, and to, get that, to get it funded, you know, one dollar at a time from, from, you know, a large portion of Detroiters um, is, is one way to, to accomplish that end. Uh, and the other reason is, um, you know, this is a this is a film by a relatively not a relatively but a, a, a very unknown guy, a filmmaker, who um, you know their Hollywood story, Hollywood studios aren't beating beating down my fund this thing, you know. And I, you know, it's not like the kind of film that um, you know, or I'm not the kind of filmmaker that has a lot of cachet going in. It's not like you just say, you know, hey, hey, Miramax, I want to make this movie, give me money. You know, it's I'm 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 doing this, um, you know, a little bit a little bit to walk walk the walk that the film preaches, um, and and kind of do do things one dollar one frame, uh, one story at a time. Well, excellent. And and again, for our listeners, I'm talking with Eric Prue, and and he's the filmmaker behind Lemonade Detroit, um, and. I'm I'm curious. You you highlight so many interesting people in your film, and being from from Boston, you were saying that you know the everyone gets their a lot of people outside of Michigan get their information about Detroit the same way through you know a certain you know media. So I'm curious from all the way from being from Boston, how did you find all these people that are kind of they're reinventing Detroit and finding this little these nuggets of gold within the city when you live far away and you're not necessarily connected with it on a daily basis? How did you find these people? Um, you know, a lot of it is visiting, um, but I'd say Twitter and Facebook are incredible. Um, the connective tissue on social media is amazing. Um, I had, uh, I had, you know, for instance, the Reverend Barry story. I had just posted on Twitter, like, hey, I'd love to get this. I'd already shot the trailer. I'm like, I'd love to get this trailer in front of Mayor Bing. Does anybody know, have a connection to the mayor? And somebody replied to me, hey, I think my reverend has a connection to the mayor. And he put me in touch with Reverend Barry. Well, once I talked to Reverend Barry and met him in person, I was like, okay, it's great that he may be able to connect me to the mayor, but his story needs to be in this film. All right? So it's like it's it's sort of, you know, two degrees of separation from, from you know, just somebody's tweet, you know. Um, and that, I would say, I mean, largely just me, me coming and talking to people and also um, – you know, just just the just the incredible impact that uh, social media has. And and I also understand that um, now you're getting some companies like I believe Blue Cross Blue Shield that are that are now backing your film and and will match um, you know individual contributors you know their frame by frame payment. Yeah. And are getting was, behind uh, Blue that. Cross Blue Shield, yeah, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan and um, Quicken Loans did a limited time um, you know matching for like x amount of time we will match we will match you know dollar for dollar um and that that was uh the you know at the end of december and early january so those were two two separate programs that um, that are over but um 
those are certainly things we're we're still on the hunt to to find. And and do you know have any general idea of when your film will be finished and open to the public? You know, the short will be done, the 15, so doing a 15-minute short, and that is in the process of being mixed in color cricket as we speak. That should be done in the next week or two, and how that gets seen is yet to be determined. But um, it will be it will be online for sure um, in one way or another, whether it's on Hulu or Snag Films or, or some other medium that people can just watch it. Uh, that's, the, that's the immediate plan and, um, uh, for that. And then in terms of the future, um, you know, the, the timeline has been uh, end of the summer, early fall. Um, that is still possible, but, uh, you know, the, the, it's all a matter of, um, of getting the rest of those frames sold. Well, on the phone is Eric Prue. He is the filmmaker behind the documentary called Lemonade Detroit, which shows the hope in the city and the beauty of Detroit that's happening right now in our largest city here in Michigan. So, Eric Prue, thanks so much for joining us tonight, and best of luck for the, with the film. And, again, for more information on the film, you can go to LemonadeDetroit.com. Eric, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Impact Exposure. For the Michigan storytelling segment, this is Will Jones doing a piece called Adam and Eve from my upcoming album, So Wild. Once upon a time, there was a city. It was a small city stuck in the heart of indecision. During the spring, the grass was green. In the winter, Mother Nature lay a blanket of white snow across the rooftops, and all year round, the women were beautiful. At night, the city would shine. Small though it was, the city compensated for its size with bright lights, making it easier for its people, whose pupils dilated like the zooms of the automatic cameras they used to capture the blurry minutes of their one-dimensional lives, to stumble home. Because the people in the town laughed and drank, and sang, and drank, and danced, and drank, until the sun came up, which was their cue to retire to their homes so they could rest their heads wearily upon their toilet seats before the light of the sun setting woke them up the following day. But this city was also home to a tree, a tree whose trunk was so strong it seemed to be made of brick, a tree whose roots grew so deep they turned into cherry trees on the islands of Japan and whose long and twisted branches dropped apples onto the heads of those who walked below. A magnificent tree. But the people of the town ignored it. Every day they walked around its trunk and tripped over its roots but never once stopped to look any closer until one night a group of psychonauts found a door at the base of the tree's sturdy trunk and they opened it. Finding themselves in a small room with writing on the walls and an odd group of people sitting strewn across the floor just multicolored leaves of the tree as a result of the flaw. They were musicians. We call ourselves Adam and Eve, they told the travelers, and we are the guardians of this time. They spoke only in the rhythm of the music with voices so soft they seemed to be speaking through the dust that falls off of moths as they fly through the half-light glimmer of a candle, one that burned red and danced with the music, a seductive sweetheart doing burlesque at the tip of the whip, mesmerizing her audiences as they sat in their silence. Eventually, the psychonauts asked Adam and Eve what they were guarding, and the minstrels replied, everything. We sit 
singing our songs to the sky because in order for our world to stay real it must be experienced. Every leaf, every pencil, every mountain, every molecule would disappear if we all closed our eyes at the same time, so we take up the task of playing the world back into existence while the others out there dream. Because in their minds, fantastic things can happen, and it is our job to ensure the psychosis doesn't become too deep or we'll lose the life we love. But the psychonauts were puzzled. They didn't understand why the world shouldn't be as fantastic as the musicians had described, so they asked for an explanation. There is no planet in our solar system quite like Earth. While all the others are dry or lack the air we need to breathe, ours sustains life in a single drop of water, turning seeds into forests, rocks into reefs, and cells into someone who will wake up in the middle of the night to tend to a sick lover. Our planet is perfect just the way it is. Yet the people have found a way to tear it apart bit by bit, so we protect each microcosm found in the condensation of the clouds from ourselves. The psychonauts sat in silence once again as they listened to what they'd heard. And then it began to rain. For the Michigan Storytelling segment, that was Will Jones. You're listening to Impact Exposure. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen.